Okay, welcome to Short Ends Podcast. Today, my guest is Ishai Margulius, who is actually my brother-in-law. And Ishai is a writer, an artist, and an interesting thinker. And I'm glad to have you on the podcast today, Ishai. Thanks, Grant. happy to be here. Where are you now? Um, I'm uh, somewhere in uh, the uh, North Georgia mountains um, in a little motel uh, sitting on the floor. North Georgia mountains. Where's that? I think I'm near uh, Blairsville, um, Blue Ridge, uh, Fanning County. Um, kind of like the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. Oh wow! What's it like there? It's it's like any other American town, just with a little more uh, hills. Um, yeah. It's uh you know the weather's nice right now. What are you doing in Georgia? I am um, looking to buy a cabin. Oh wow! Um, yeah. And then, where'd you just come from? New Orleans? Yep. Well, well, not really. I came from uh, I, I came from the Gulf, uh, Port Fouchon. Um, I spent one night in New Orleans. I didn't really sleep. Um, then I spent uh, one night somewhere in um, Alabama or Mississippi. I'm not sure. And uh, this is my second night here. Let's start back at the beginning. Um, can you tell me about where you're from and uh, what your childhood was like? Well, I'm from New York. Um, I uh, I guess I grew up in a couple different suburbs, um, kind of uh, around an hour, 45 minutes north of Manhattan. Um, and uh, I mean, you know, I didn't really have a, I didn't have a bad childhood. I didn't have a great childhood. Um, I don't really know. Uh, I don't really know how to. I don't really know how to talk about it. Um, my parents got divorced, uh, so I mean, not everything was was perfect in the house, you know. Um, I know that most people get divorced. Um, I know that not everyone gets divorced. I have some friends, uh, some old friends whose parents are, you know, um, still happily married, and they still have the same house they grew up in, uh, and they, you know, go to visit on Christmas and birthdays. Uh, that didn't really work out with our family. Um, there is no family house to go back to. Um, so my mom lives in an apartment in the city. My dad lives in India. Um, my sister lives with you. My brother lives in the city. Um, our home on Rockingstone Avenue, uh, they sold after the divorce. So, um, it makes it kind of hard to, uh, really pinpoint exactly you know where is my home which kind of has you know has a lot to do with why i want to buy one now Mm, it makes a lot of sense um growing up now you're a writer now and um growing up where did your interest in writing begin Where, where did your interest in or reading maybe i think writing came first um and I remember uh, I was in seventh grade, um, and and that was the first time I actually had some ideas of my own. Um, or, I mean, if they were my own, I don't know if they were my own. I don't know, you know, where I got, you know, where I was influenced. But it was the first time I had some ideas, right? Uh, some strongly held beliefs. And I remember the first thing I wrote, like the first thing I, I actually wrote, um, with a purpose 
was a uh, sort of like a declaration of my beliefs, uh, which I handed out to my teachers and some other students. And I basically said, you know what? This is all bullshit. Um, and I felt like I wrote it really well. And that was the first time I like I wrote I wrote about how, uh, you know what? I don't think I should be made to sit in a chair all day. I don't think I should have to ask to use the bathroom or I don't think I should raise my hand to need uh, to speak. In fact, I don't think I should listen to any of you. You know, who, who the hell are you? Who do you who do you think you are thinking you can tell me anything? How did those teachers receive that uh, work when you gave it to them? Well, so the thing is, it was it was well written. Um, and I know I don't I don't exactly remember who I gave it to or how many people I gave it to. Uh, usually when I left a school and I, and I left many schools, 80 percent of the teachers hated me, like hated me, like wrote me angry letters, hated me. And one or two teachers really, really liked me. Um, I think my English teacher really liked me. Um, and I think I, I think I gave her the letter and I think she liked it. Another teacher, like, called me out um, at the beginning or in the middle of class because, like, word got around. I was just sitting there quietly. And he, like, I don't know, the energy was in the air. And he basically said something like, you know, Isaiah, you know, everyone else here wants to learn. So why don't you just, just, I don't know, get out of here, scram, something like that. Like, he made me feel like, you know what, I don't, you know, you don't really belong here. I felt like I really, I really hit them hard, actually. Um, that's one thing that I, I was, I was surprised about that. I could get a, a really strong emotional reaction from these like highly educated uh, adults. Um, and I think that's what showed me the power of writing. Like they, they were genuinely pissed off from what I wrote. Uh, and I didn't say anything rude. In fact, I didn't talk at all, right? It's nothing I said to them. It's what I wrote that, 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 that got them to confront me. Um, and later on, that teacher actually kind of apologized. I guess that's when I started writing. And I did little projects like that throughout the school years. Um, I, in high school, me and a couple other friends, I guess it was me, but a couple other friends uh, who were kind of on my side, we wrote this thing called the, uh, the Weekly Sedition, which I always thought was a, a pretty cool name for, a, for a, an editorial. Um, and the first, I think the first thing I wrote about was how, um, you know, you guys call yourself, uh, you know, this, this intellectual institution, right? We care about learning, we care about thoughts, we care about ideas, and you are not only ending the, you're ending the school day early and making mandatory attendance for a football game. So you're asking all of us to stop our studies, right? And to and to spend more of our own time supporting um, 
you know, our, our, our football players. I don't care about our football players. I don't care about football. And I don't think football has anything to do with a school, right? And I don't, I don't, I don't see why, why these are the heroes of our school, these, you know, football players. And I also called them out for spending a million dollars on our football field. Um, the principal didn't like it, right? She, she gave me the argument that, you know, it, it, it brings people together. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, basically, to not get too off tangent, whenever I thought that there was some bullshit going on, I wanted to write about it. You said you switched schools a lot. Why were you? did you keep switching schools? Why did I keep switching schools? Yeah. Um, we moved a lot. Um, and uh, I, I, I went to public school for a little while. And then I went and then my parents wanted to put me into a Hebrew school, right? A private school. And then they put me into a different one. And uh, I didn't really do very well in either of them. I kind of I mean, this is, 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 you know, before I was a teenager. I kind of talked back to the teachers, I guess. Um, not for any, like, well-thought-out reason. I was just, you know, talking back. Uh, and then um, for high school, they made me take a test to go to a magnet school, and I got in. Um, and I refused to keep going, like, two months before the school year ended, which caused a whole fucking thing, right? Because, like, well... I mean, I was basically like uh, playing chicken with them because I really didn't care. And I was like, you see how much I care. I care so little that the little bit you care to not have a kid fail and get like a zero across the board for your own personal records or standards. The, the, like the, the tiny fraction of a percent that I will degrade your school's reputation care is more important to you than my grades are to me so let me out of your school and transfer the credits to this public school over here and just let me get on with my life it was basically the argument i gave him and they and they and they kind of did it uh so i went that's when i transferred to mamaronic high school and i was pretty happy to do it to be honest how was high school for you um in general like socially academically all of that just how was your high school experience uh, high school, um, high school was great and it was, uh, I mean, and it sucked. Um, I guess like most things, um, I didn't really, I never, I never cared about school. Um, what I did in my free time or, or, or not my free time, I, I would basically, so we lived like a five minute walk from the school. So. I kind of just spent a lot of time at home instead of going to class or I would like pop into class and like just like skip a class and go home. Um, I had a couple friends uh, and sometimes in instead of like fourth period would be like, hey, let's go have a barbecue, you know, just fuck it. Like, I mean, who really needs, you know, whatever class we were, you know, like it. Who needs it? Let's just go do something fun and important, you know, and better than this. Let's make a meal, right? Did school inspire any writing in any way, or was it just kind of um, you being reactionary to not liking it there? Oh, did I learn anything from school? No, absolutely not. Um, yeah, I, I, I learned so little in school that I actually genuinely almost 
didn't pass the the I almost didn't pass everything. Um the way that I so so basically the um my position at the end of of every school year with all the finals and all the tests was as if I didn't go to school at all. So it's a it's kind of a miracle that I was able to pass high school to begin with. I mean, I passed everything. I did, but but that was just through just like clever like just like intuition or I I don't know how I was able to pass those tests, but I didn't learn anything. Um and and I made it a point not to learn anything. Um but what I did I did I I didn't learn anything from my teachers and from the classes, but I learned a lot in high school. I learned how to make moonshine. I spent a lot of time building my own like distillery. Um and this is on a really, really tight budget, right? Like me and my friends were thinking like how can we get like ninety dollars to like upgrade our distillery, you know? Like, man, if we could get two hundred dollars we could run this town, you know? Like that's that's what we were dealing with. We would uh go into um the local brew shop, right? And we would steal components. You know, because I you know, we couldn't spend fifteen dollars on, on like a like a uh, what do you call it now? Um, you know, one of the you know pieces of equipment that we needed back then. So I spent a lot of time building things that you know today I I I don't I don't know like where I would possibly find the time. That was like the greatest thing actually about um, you know basically. Basically, like those years between 14 and 18 where you're kind of sort of becoming a grown person, but you also don't really have responsibilities and you don't really need to go to work. I'm like, I'm going to need to go to work for the rest of my life. I don't need to go to work now, you know, so actually let me do interesting things. So, you know, what other time in my life am I going to be able to devote days and days on end just to, you know, designing a moonshine still, right? What other time in my life am I going to be able to devote days and days on end to to whittling a pipe or 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 uh, um, you know I built a, a little moped for my friends because we had no money and no cars and we put a little seat in it and we would drive everywhere uh, you know that's you know um, what else did we do in high school I guess it just felt like uh, those were in some ways the best years of my life or they should be the best years of my life and I was pretty furious that the government the state wanted to steal that from me you know we all only get a couple years to be a teenager and they want to put us to work immediately and they don't want to pay us right it's terrible I mean I made the point like if you really want me to be here at least pay me minimum wage Obviously, you didn't learn anything at school and whatnot, um, you know, but you did write this piece that you said was, you know, very reactionary to the school and everything like that, but also was very well written. Um, where did that kind of understanding of just very simply language and being able to express yourself in writing come from? Were your parents' influences in that way? I can't hide from the fact that I have two parents with PhDs, right? Um and you know in, in in the environments that like i live in now that's not really something that not only could no one relate to but it's also not it's also something that people would probably have a a 
a negative reaction to right um you know in, in in like the working class environment that i'm in so it's not something that i really think about or talk about too often that i have two parents with phds um but you know i mean say what you will about both of them i think they're both very intelligent and they're both very well spoken um but the what I guess the the thing about um, the way that I learned to write was through practice. Uh, that first piece of writing was great practice because I was able to learn what got a reaction out of people and what didn't get a reaction out of people. And I've, uh, as a side note, found that at that time I was getting a much greater reaction than a lot of the writing that I've, I've, I've produced uh, in my adult life compared to my teen life. Um, because that was some of the most honest writing, um, and the most, uh, just, um, like, I, I mean, I mean, maybe cavalier on, it was just uncaring. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't care about, uh, the consequences of it. In fact, the worse the consequences, the greater, basically. Um, I also wrote a book in high school and I called it the underage manifesto. And, um, I basically, I, I had a publisher at the time and she basically told me, you can't publish this. Um, you need to start changing some things about it. Um, you know, and I mean, yeah, I would not write something like that today. Uh, but you know, I'm going to be 23 now and I was 15 and 16 and 17 when I wrote it. Um, and, uh. Yeah, basically what taught me to write, to sum it up, was practice. I've always believed that you don't, and, and, and people are going to find this uh, ridiculous, um, but I've always believed that you don't actually need to read to write. Um, and, you know, because everyone always says, man, you know, you have to read this and you have to read that. And I like writing and I do read a lot. Uh, but I do not, but I firmly believe that you do not need to read this person or read that person because I don't care, you know, how great they were in the 1920s and 1930s and 1960s. There were writers in the 1860s and they didn't read any of the writers from the 1960s, right? And there were writers in the 1820s and they didn't read any of the writers in the 1860s, right? Like Dostoevsky never had the chance to read Faulkner. You know, being a novelist, I mean, it it's a relatively new thing. I mean, you know, throughout all of human history, people just told stories to each other. Right. You know, like storytelling has been one of the most you know important you know parts of being human. That's how history is passed. That's how I mean, that was the you know, the that was education. That was entertainment. That was everything. Storytellers are, you know. You know, they created religion. Storytelling is one of the most important things that we have, right? It's the most valuable thing that we have. You know, otherwise we wouldn't even be human anymore. We'd just be animals. We need to pass on stories. Storytelling is just a part of our nature like languages, you know? I mean, it's 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 like singing. It's like dancing. It's like, it's like um, you know, it's like physical intimacy. I, I think that um, writing, to sum it up, is just something that is is just something that you need to practice
um, not necessarily needing to read to write and everything. I think that's interesting too. Um, I think the same thing for me. Sometimes people expect that I've seen all of the movies that are out or all of the quote great films or something. And a lot of times I, you know, don't watch the, the movies or I haven't seen, you know, this work that is supposedly a seminal piece of, you know, cinema or something. Um, and in a way I see a benefit of, you know, hiding my head in the sand and focusing on what I'm creating rather than being influenced by somebody else's story and, um, you know, changing to try to become that. Uh, rather than mining myself. I mean, yeah. Uh, there's a point where it probably will be good to read more, um, to hear more stories. I would say start reading after you write your first couple books. If I could, if I could give any advice to anyone, like, you know, I'm first see what your own ideas are, right? See what you would create in your most natural, you know, in your most natural form. Now listen to what other people are saying. Now listen to their arguments. And then you can, you know, and then you might be able to develop something that I guess might might have like a more like exact impact in society, if that makes sense. Like, okay, now figure out what everyone else is talking about these days. Now figure out what's on their mind. And now and now you can start getting into the discussion. Right. What were your, you said like you were skipping classes and going to your house and everything. What were your parents doing during this? Were they aware of all of this or what, what was their take on your uh, attendance or lack of participation in school? I didn't live with my mom. Um, you know, she, I mean, I think that my like reaction to her was relatively, I don't want to say normal or healthy. It wasn't healthy, uh, but I don't, but I, it wasn't uncommon um we did not have a good relationship and i really kind of hated her um uh and uh i mean you know that's kind of like a discussion for another day but um you know she just wanted uh she wanted me to start doing better in school basically um and my my ideas about school were already, you know, festering really, really deeply. Um, that, and I didn't, I didn't share any of that with her, right? Uh, so she ended up, you know, her her immediate response was, "Well, let's like, you know, start doing what you're supposed to do according to like the rules and regulations." She started like calling teachers and like showing up to like parent teacher things and you know it's it's always just it, it felt so absurd and I can get into more of that in a second but my dad I mean he lived with me I lived with him I basically chose to live with him um he he had socialist ideas he had you know his he had anarchist writing on the you know on his shelves um and I was like you know what this is all a tool of the capitalist system and he was like well I mean, you're right, so I can't argue with that. Like, you know, yeah, your teachers are full of shit. That you know, I mean, they are. Like, and, and I remember I told him, well, why didn't you tell me this before? He was like, I can't tell you your teachers are full of shit. Like, if you want to do good in school, that's your right to do good in school. Like, I can't take that away from you. But if you if you 
you know, if you develop these ideas, yeah, I'll tell you I agree with them. And that was basically his reaction. Um, you know, I, I have a friend, uh, or I had a friend, um, and, uh, <laughs> it's kind of, it's a little similar, but not exactly his pet, uh, he, his parents grew up in, in, in mainland China. Um, they also didn't really care about him in school for whatever reason, but he would say whenever the school would call uh, the phone and ask, you know, where's Ben? Why is he cutting class? Because he would always cut class with me. His dad would shout into the phone, wrong number and hang up. And that's how and that's how they took care of that issue. <laughs> My dad, uh, I, I don't I mean, I mean, I think the schools eventually started putting him under pressure. Um, it kind of stopped mattering after I was like 16, 17, 18, like three, two, one year left in school. But there was a time when the court like I don't know exactly how it happened, but I think the court actually ordered me to uh, attend some kind of like psychic evaluation for why I wasn't going to school. So, you know, they tried uh, sending me to, you know, this, you know, psychoanalytic, whatever, you know, bullshit. Um, there was a point where they just started negotiating with me to show up to certain classes so that they could pass me. Well, I guess at that time, um, my relationship with my mother was basically gone. Um, and, uh, you know, the whole thing about, about like the absurdity of, um, of, uh, you know, trying to work around me, work with these teachers, trying to, you know, get the system to work in a certain way to get me to go to school, uh, frustrated me because the whole reason I didn't like school was because I wasn't treated like a human, you know, an individual, a person with, you know, just, you know, just a, a person with his own thoughts and ideas and desires, um, and, and like the, it was like a joke to me to think that, um, it's like, you know, they often, they talked about summer school, you know, it, it was just, it was just the most idiotic, uh, like conception I've heard of up, up to that time, because what they were telling me was the solution for doing terrible in school and not showing up in school because you hate school is more school, right? It made no sense. How is that a solution to the problem? That's 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 adding fuel to a fire, thinking that you could burn off the fire with more fire. Right? You know. So um So I guess uh like I guess they just eventually gave up. Um and um I lived relatively peacefully the last couple of years of high school meaning they stopped they stopped bothering me so much they stopped calling so much they stopped caring so much i kind of just passed my classes um and told them like i don't care about college just so stop talking to me about that and they're like well all right just show up to gym a couple times so we can pass you and then in graduation i was uh, everyone had their robes on and i was sitting there with a i think it was a white t-shirt and jeans and the like the bitchy lady, like the bitchy school lady walked up to me with like a bitchy smile and was like, Isaiah, do you want to wear your robes? I said, uh, no. And that was it. Did you actually walk? Oh, yeah, 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 I did. I walked and I picked up my diploma and everything.
wearing a t-shirt. <laughs> wow. Proudest moment of my life up until that point. So then what after high school? I got so in a moonshine that I wanted to, you know, um, like be just, I wanted to do something with alcohol. Um, so I actually volunteered to work in a winery in Israel and I did, and I did that for about a month. Um, and at that point I did, I, I came up with, uh, some, I would say within that month I wrote almost 50%, well, not that much, but just an insane amount of the, of the total percentage of writing I've did in my life so far. Um, and I guess like the like the month after high school ends is kind of a, an intense experience for people possibly or for me at least. I didn't like working at the winery, um, and I put a lot of hope into that. So I don't know exactly how it happened, but I ended up on a cruise ship as a deckhand, and that began my maritime career. What was it about that month? Do you think that inspired so much writing? Um, I was disappointed. Um, I, uh, I was disappointed with the work. I was disappointed with the people I was working with. I, um, had a lot of faith that this winery, uh, would be like, would, would, you know, I, I thought basically at the time that that was going to be my path in life. I'm going to, I'm going to be a winemaker. This is amazing. That was the first time in my life, really, that I, um, had it you know just some kind of plan for something that i knew nothing about and then when i did it it disappointed me um but uh i started out actually like really in love with the work and in love with the winery um and i wrote a lot about it and everything about the uh, the winery was beautiful and the grapes were beautiful and the land was beautiful and the bell that they rang in the morning was beautiful um and then near the end i thought uh I mean, I mean, you know, it kind of almost reminded me of some of the writing I wrote about the uh, the schools. Like uh, in the schools, uh, the people were sick, and the air was and the air was unclean. Um, uh, I don't know. Just I couldn't really stand to be there anymore. Um, and I mean, you know, it 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 wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Um, I thought I thought basically it would be an artistic experience, and then I found out there really is nothing artistic about this. So uh, I wrote a lot about it. And then your next big endeavor was getting into maritime work, right? Yes. So how did how did that come about from the winery? I was just looking for. I don't know how, but I think that you know I'm kind of a. I'm kind of a, a little bit of an, an advocate for the sea life. Um, and I would say that, um, as it's been written before by a lot of, I mean, you know, th- there is something kind of alluring about the sea. And I think most people, young men, uh, young women, it's something that a lot of people think about. It's kind of a mysterious thing. Um, very few people really know what it's like to be out, you know, in the ocean for long periods of time or to be out in the ocean at all. And it's a big part of the earth. Um, and there's a huge history, uh, humans, uh, sailing across the ocean and it's a very important part of, of humanity and commerce. And it's so basically the point is it's not necessarily an absurd thing to think about at some point if you're looking for something to do. Right. Um, and, uh, 
I kind of started looking into it, and I realized it's actually a bit more complicated to get into than I thought it was, and there's a lot more to it than people realized. Um, and I got, I got a hired on by a cruise line to be a deckhand. And where was that first sailing expedition based? Uh, we uh, we rode around the Puget Sound and the San Juan Islands, and we ended the trip going around Cape Flattery. Uh, down the west coast through the Columbia River Bar, which was which was my first time in open water, uh, and I got so seasick, I made a complete fool of myself. It was a six-week trip. Wow, were you at this point inspired also by other writers who had written about the sea? Ernest Hemingway uh, comes to mind. Well, I was reading Old Man in the Sea while I was on the boat, and I also was reading Moby Dick. Um, but, uh, the thing about the sea and sea writing is that they don't actually mix so well. Um, and I would say it's sort of similar to (sighs) reading about the sea while you're on the sea, reading about, you know, reading sailing stories while you're actually sailing is a little bit akin to having sex and reading about sex at the same time. And I'm not saying sailing is some is some orgasmic experience, but I'm saying you know, do one or the other. You don't do both. You know, they just they're not two things that happen at the same time because your experience out there is actually a very personal thing. Um everything that happens in your life while you're on or or everything that's been happening in your life while you're on land everything that's still happening and everything that's going to happen is influencing your experience out there on the ship uh whether you were alone on land or whether you have people waiting for you on land or whether you have a place to go to or whether you have no place to go to um the sea gives you a lot of time to reflect on everything your past your present your future you don't need to hear about other people's sea stories. You have your own going on at that moment. And I, I imagine on a very practical level also, you're very busy. I mean, it's a very physically taxing job. And there's also probably not a ton of um, time or maybe you don't have the resources to be reading and writing about the activity that you're doing. So the cruise line was not very physical. Um, rigging barges on the river, that was very physical. Uh, fishing is very physical, very mentally uh, strenuous, um, taxing, trying. Working on supply vessels, not just kind of boring. Um, it's not so. It's not necessarily the physical labor that is standard between all of it. A lot of it, you're just standing watch. You might just be standing there, cold in the wind, but it's not physical, right? So I'm kind of asking about the the actual job of it versus the romantic ideal of it or the artistic interpretation of the act the thing is the job has nothing to do with it uh that's kind of what i've learned um a you know a sailor a mariner has more time just to live more time for himself actually than anyone working on land that's the thing about it because yeah, I mean, you will be, you know, on watch for at least 12 hours a day. Maybe, I mean, maybe even more. But you don't need to drive to work. You don't need to go, go grocery shopping. You don't need to, you know... I mean, there's just so many tiny little things that you need to do when you're on land. 
Um, you don't need to make coffee in the morning. You know, you don't need to go to the laundromat. You don't need to do anything, really. I mean, you know, you're just kind of there. Um, you know, most people don't can't have 12 uninterrupted hours to sit in the room and do nothing if they wanted to. Um, I honestly don't know how people on land find time to sleep and eat and go out. And I mean, I think that, I mean, I, I imagine they're slaves. I don't know when they have time to do anything, actually. Um, you have time if you want. Um, the question is more if you actually want to reflect. Um, I think that, uh, it's not, it's not the time, it's not the labor, it's not how poetic the, the, the job is. A big influence is actually the people around you. Um, you know, uh, can you talk about this job in a kind of a deeper sense with the people around you? Can you, um, you know, express your emotions with the people around you? If you can, then it becomes an amazing experience. You know, if you can't, then it's just something that you're ticking away the days, you know, you're, 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 I mean, you're marking them off on a calendar until you get to go home. Is that something you find changes from crew to crew, or is that something that all people who have spent time on the sea can talk about this experience on that deeper level? Um, well, no, it changes crew to crew, but it also changes, I mean, also, you know, the, the individual, you know, myself, I've changed and I've learned how to connect with people on different levels. Um, you know, you can connect with anyone, um, and, and, and there's an artistic experience everywhere. Um, I mean, you know, like, also just listening to other people can, you know, can, can give you that artistic experience. A lot of people on these boats are, uh, are felons, old convicts, and, you know, you listen to the ways that they talk about prison, right? And the stories that they tell, and some of them, actually, I've heard them say, you know, I don't miss it, but I miss it. Which I thought is, you know, out of all the things in life that you can possibly miss, people can actually miss prison too, you know? Like, um, or, or, you know, that's, that's definitely where I've found the poetic experience. When you actually stop caring about your own experience and you start listening to other people's experience, um, Everyone out there, every, every, every person is, well, it doesn't matter if you're a fisherman, it doesn't matter if, if you're uh, a writer or a filmmaker, it doesn't matter if you're a tax attorney, every single person has a deeply sensitive, emotional side of their life, and if, and you can, and you can get into it, you know, you can hear about people's problems with, you know, the women in their life and with their kids and they're just trying to be a good father. And I don't know why she, you know, why she talks to me like this. And, you know, um, just, you know, people will, I mean, people, if, if you, if you're open to listening to them, they'll, they'll go back 15 years of their life to something that they're still thinking about right now, you know, and you, <laughs> and I mean, I think, wow, that's, you know, Life is really, really shitty for most people, and people are very happy to talk about it. You have a very different background from a lot of these guys. Do you find that you relate to these people? Very rarely do I talk about myself. Uh, 
but I don't really get a lot of satisfaction from talking um, or explaining myself. I felt like that was the whole thing I didn't like about school. I don't want to have to explain myself to anybody. Just let me be who I am and let me think what I think and that's it. Um, I don't really need to explain myself to feel satisfied. The way that I would do a lot of listening and the way that I would relate is through empathizing with their suffering. Um, You know, uh, I could try to think of like, you know, specific examples, but... um, I mean, at the end of the day, we're all men out there. We're all there for a different reason, right? It doesn't really matter, you know, that I don't really have anything to say when they start talking about football or, um, you know, that I don't have any kids or anything like that. We're all out there. We're all sad. None of us want to be out there. None of us know how we got out there. None of us know why we're still there. And we all are about to quit. We're all about to take another job. Everyone interesting side note is always about to start driving a truck and it's something that I've, I've 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 written about almost everyone every hitch says you know when i get back i'm gonna get my cdl i'm gonna start driving a truck you know it's like some kind of just like absurd american just it, it's just some absurd american parable um but once you get past you know the the i don't talk about football with them and I don't have any kids and I didn't go fishing down by the bayou and, you know, we're all basically the same. It's interesting, too, because you said, you know, people wanting to get back and get their CDL. Um, When we started this conversation, you started it by talking about being in Georgia and wanting a home because you never really had a home. And, you know, the people who you're surrounded by, their careers are at sea or on the road, um, which are, you know very uh, opposite to having a home life and uh, being at home every day. Um, do you see some connection there? Yeah. Uh, at a certain point, you just get really, really tired of being gone. And the little mundane things in life that at first, I, I mean, I even told you, you hate, you actually start to love. You know, I show up at, at a grocery store with a smile on my face. You know, like, I mean, everyone's different, but for me, that's, you know, those are like the little joys of coming home, just seeing a different face, you know? How does being on the boat and everything affect your, quote, home life? Um, and how do you define your home life at this point? Well, I don't have a home. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't had home in a long time. So there is no home life for me. What is land life like then? I've mostly just driven around, stayed at hostels and motels. If we go back a couple of years, I would always, you know, uh, I would always get like a bunk bed at a hostel. Um, I, I kind of have a hostel that I kind of called home for a while, and I just visited it. Uh, I just visited it again a couple days ago. Um, I kind of made that my home for a long time, and the workers of the hostel kind of considered me like another member of the hostel. Um, and uh, yeah, that's been my biggest home in New Orleans. Um, but as long as I've been a mariner, I've never had a place to just come home and say, this is where I'm going to be until I go back. What is your ti- your status now? Uh, how so? Oh, oh, my title. What is your title? I'm, yeah. I'm an AB, an able seaman. 
Able semen. Okay. Yeah. And w- what is your day to day? What are your tasks like? We do a lot of cleaning on the boat. Um, we'll also rig cargo. Uh, we'll um, help the engineers load fuel. Um, something always breaks, and we're always helping out. Um, uh, you know, there's a, a lot of piping systems. We pipe to oil rigs. Uh, things like cement, dry cement, and mud, which is used in the oil field, and fuel, and things like uh, things called completion fluid, and other kind of just uh, oil field necessities, and we'll be down there in the engine room, um, you know, uh, breaking apart pipes, uh, opening valves, um, fixing things that are broken, hitting things with hammers, breaking apart couplings, um, and then when we're on deck, we'll... uh, be talking with the crane operators on the rigs, uh, guiding down the cargo, laying it on the deck, chaining the cargo down, um, tying off the boat when we get back to land. Um, but there's a lot of uh, nonsense. There's a lot of cleaning. There's a lot of uh, waxing the decks. and um, We'll also chip and paint. and uh, Then we'll also stand watch. We'll um, make sure we don't hit anything. Sometimes we'll steer the boat. That's interesting to me because it seems like your job now has so many rules and regulations um, and coming from somebody <coughs> who was so against school and regulations there and, you know, believed in anarchy and all this kind of stuff. Um, why are you able to do this now? Where And what's different about this than school? Well, the interesting thing is I kind of am the anarchist on the boat. Um, and there are some things that I just won't compromise on. Little victories here and there. And it's kind of the same argument before, like, you do not realize how little I care that I care that, uh, (laughs) that the amount that you would care, that the amount the company would care if I had to get off the boat is more than I care about my job. So the little things that I insist on, they let it slide. Like I will not put on a shirt when I walk into the shower or when I come out of the shower, I'll walk straight through the passageway, through the galley in a towel you know um little victories like that i will not put on gloves when i make a sandwich um i won't make my bed in the morning you know things that they want you to do that i won't do um and it's fine you kind of it's a little bit of a jailhouse mentality not to the same extent and i know i've never been to jail but i can say that because people who have been to jail will tell you the exact same thing the people who are in charge aren't necessarily in charge the 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 you know the captain sometimes is the lowest person on the boat the mate is sometimes the lowest person on the boat the ab sometimes um he's the one that uh you know he's he's the one that sets the rules but um the thing about it is everyone kind of agrees that the rules are bullshit so we don't really follow them um And I have quit companies because people follow the rules too much. The way that it works out there is that every time you want to do a job, you have to do paperwork for the job. And the paperwork, if you were to do it correctly, would last longer than the job would last, would last longer than the day would last. And you couldn't do the job because the questions that the paperwork asks, you cannot answer because we don't have the equipment that we need to do it. The boat isn't in the condition to do it. We haven't slept enough, like the paperwork says. So if we actually follow the rules, the whole oil field would shut down. Every morning you sign and they say, did you get adequate rest? No, I didn't. Are you kidding me? The engine room alarms were, were going off every 30 minutes, right? Are you crazy? Of course I didn't get any sleep last night. 
uh, they say, uh, have you inspected all your PPE? Uh, all our PPE is torn to shit and the office doesn't buy us new life jackets. You know, like, um, and then it asks you whenever, every time you want to rig any cargo, there's like a, th a, literally like a, like a 30 item checklist for you to inspect every single little element of that cargo. Like, you know, so basically the rules don't make any sense and no one cares about the rules. Um, so we actually kind of, uh, do what we want and how we want it out there. Um, yeah, it's a lot less structured than you would think. You said about a jailhouse mentality and, um, that's what I was first thinking of. You said you were working with a lot of felons and, uh, you know, ex-cons and everything. Um, and it sounds like, you know, you said somebody said, you know, although they wouldn't want to go back to jail also in a way they would in some, you know, certain aspects. Um, and, you know, you can kind of make normal any, uh, situation eventually or anything. Um, and, you know, it sounds like a similar sort of, uh, natural progression in a way from something like jail to something like, uh, this sort of structure. Um, how also like, I mean, similarly to in jail where you're divided by gender, um, how is it working exclusively with men? And are there are there women on the boats? This time I was on the boat, we had two women. Uh, one was uh, one of the cooks, and the other was the medic, because uh, we had a very large crew. And uh, when th uh, the crews are really large, they give us cooks and they give us medics. I don't really have anything to compare it to because I've never worked with women. Um, but men, felons, uh, mariners... I mean, you know, we aren't necessarily the um, most civilized group of people. Uh, and the thing that I've discovered out there is that men will, men are very sensitive and they will not talk about their feelings. They will attack each other uh, to prevent people from getting close to the things that would hurt them. Um, so it's a very cynical environment a lot of the time. Um, I don't exactly know the best way to explain it, but basically I was working with one man who was pretty overweight. Um, and he was, he was very sent, he was very sensitive about his weight. Uh, and I, he didn't like me a lot. And I think it's because I'm in much better shape than he is. So he would try to make me feel bad in other ways. Um, you know, he would say, you know, he would uh, all the time. He's also really tall and he would pick on my height. Um, and I was talking about this with another guy in the boat. And he was like, you know, that guy, you just got to bark back. And at one time he said something about I can't I can't pick I can't reach something. And I said, yeah, well, that's coming from the guy who can't even do a squat. And he you know, you see his lip actually quivered and I felt really, really bad because I thought, you know what? I didn't really care about what this guy was saying. I, I knew, I knew he was just, you know, I knew he was basically just jealous. You know, I didn't need to attack him and I felt really bad. Afterwards though, he actually started opening up to me and, you know, confiding in me about a lot of things. Um, but, uh, Men can men can make each other's lives hard basically. 
there are also a lot of really great people out there. Um, I think there there's like, like a reactionary ex- experience some people have where you know where they're like you know what everyone is always fighting with each other everyone's always picking on each other and arguing with each other I'm just gonna be a great fucking guy and then there are people out there who will just every morning just be so happy so enthusiastic you know uh, you know just like you know like shake your hand every morning and look you in the eye and say how are you doing you know did you sleep well that's great you know are you looking forward to today everything is going well so so you get these you know these different sides to it but basically no one is just normal no one just 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 goes through the day like you would imagine someone goes through their shift at at the supermarket you have to you have to be somebody out there right you know either you're going to be a bully and you're going to pick on people so they don't pick on you or either you're going to be a stand up guy and you're going to defend people um you know but 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 you have to take a position um and your position can change day by day um and you can fight for a new position like I did you can stand up for yourself um and you can make friends too right women so Personally, I haven't had a great experience with women on boats. Um, I've worked with a woman on a cruise line, and she got a position that a lot of people wanted, which she was not qualified for and she didn't work for because she was sleeping with the engineer. On this boat right now, the cook, well, basically because she refused to share a room with a man, mind you, not sleep at the same time when you share a room, usually, uh they're on opposite watches, which was the case w- with this cook and the male cook. She didn't want her stuff basically being in the same room as a man. She didn't want a man sleeping in the room that she would be sleeping in when he was out. So we had to clear out an entire storage closet to move things around from one room into another room. Basically, the moment she came on the boat, now we have to do more work. Now we need to accommodate. Um, and the medic basically just just sat in a room all day which is fine because she's a medic but it's always felt like everyone starts walking around walking on eggshells and we always have to you know like in the case with the engineer uh, or with the girl if there's an opportunity for them to get above us uh, by sleeping with somebody you know or in this case now we need to move things around to accommodate her um you know mariners don't like working with women on boats because it just makes the job harder for everyone um you know and i mean i mean you hear it all the time every single person out there eventually we start talking about it and someone says yeah the last time a woman was on my boat she was sleeping with the captain or oh yeah she wasn't worth anything but she was sleeping it's you know it's it's like it's some kind of epidemic uh, and you're not supposed to talk about it you know they're not supposed to talk about it um <laughs> i mean the cook this time you know he said uh um uh you know he 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 wanted to like he said he was afraid of talking back to the cook because he said he didn't want to catch or talking back to the female cook because he said he didn't want to catch a charge he was like i've been to prison before i'm not going to prison again that's that's the that's the sad thing about about at least the southern boats i've worked on um it it's not a great blend in alaska um in the union um I hear much different things, but on these southern boats with these southern men and these southern women, it just doesn't work out well. Sad to say it. How are people's relationships with women off the boat? 
And how does and how does being on the boat influence you know those relationships being away for so long? You know, I don't really have a good reference, but um, everyone cheats on their women, and it's just kind of accepted. And there's only one time where we kind of had a discussion about it: should we be cheating on our women? Once some and, and one person said, "Isaiah, do you cheat on your women?" I'm like, no, I don't. And uh, and 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 one guy like stood up and he was like, "You know what? He's right. You shouldn't cheat on women." And um. But it's just kind of the way that w- way that the life is. Everyone cheats. Um, everyone's been divorced at least a couple times. Everyone has relationships with women about as unhealthy as I have, which is interesting um, because it makes you feel not so crazy. In fact, a lot of them are worse. I feel like a lot of them should have learned lessons that I've learned already. Like, don't go back to your ex. So many of these guys either, you know, continue to go back to their ex or still talking with their ex and money to their ex like they're all they're always talking about well here's my girl but here's also my ex um you know like because you don't meet a lot of people so uh you know maybe that's one thing um that explains it but very few of them just have a normal life because you can't really have a normal life one of them it's crazy he's 25 he's an engineer he makes double what i make um he has a beautiful wife and he's not a good looking guy himself he's not muscular or tall or good looking or anything um but he has a beautiful wife and three kids and i'm like shit what are you doing this guy is as gay as a fucking uh box of lucky charms do you have people on the boat who are openly gay never well okay on the cruise line yeah but uh not on um not on southern work boats no this guy was a little bit openly gay like he would not mind making it clear that he was gay but he would not ever say that he was gay um and in what way did he make it clear? Like he would like he would like <laughs> if we're playing chess one time, he started running his finger over my hand. And then he looked up like really shocked and like pulled away and I kinda laughed. I'm like you know that was sweet. You know, like that I I mean maybe just with me, I I really care about so little that like just don't I mean, I don't, I mean, you want to touch my hand, I don't mind, you can touch my hand, um, but like, uh, yeah, at least to me, he made it clear he was gay, probably because he's never had any, like, moment in his life before, I believe, where he could, like, express any kind of intimate anything with a man, um, he always wanted to, like, uh, I don't know, he, he always, like, he also like fought karate or kung fu or something and he always wanted to show me moves because it always meant like touching you know touching each other uh it was it was it was friendly it was it was like kind of brotherly in a way nothing like sexual but like you know he was just very physically intimate he wanted to be physically intimate um which is actually kind of nice out there sometimes because you go days weeks at a time without touching anybody um that i could totally understand why you know um you'd want to at least like touch someone's hand at some point again related to like you know the prison system and all in that environment you have people who you know say they're completely straight yet you know sleep with men in prison so no one will sleep with each other like that won't happen out here because you're going home you know we're not there for 10 years that'll be a totally different thing we're there and we're getting paid so it's a little bit different but people i mean you know, th- things that are normal out there are not normal back on land. And I don't just mean in a work environment. I mean, just anywhere. Like, you know, 
um, someone will say like if someone if a man and these are two very heterosexual straight guys right if one's bending down to like tighten something you know like a like another guy will say you know big biker dude too will say man you know you know you shouldn't be bending down like that I've been out here about seven weeks now something like that you know and uh, it's happened and also when people are mad at each other they'll 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 start uh, shit talking about how they're gonna rape each other you know like man I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna tear you up you know your asshole's gonna look like this and that you know you're gonna you know like you know I'm just they start talking about how they're gonna rape each other like no you're not no you're not man I'm I'm gonna fuck your shit up tonight you know you better look out like that's how how they will let out their aggression it reminds me also like this kind of army mentality where you're with a group of people who are doing a very specific thing that is not um you know normal on land or that most of the world doesn't understand or doesn't experience um and what you said before you know these this, it's a different situation you wouldn't do these things on land and, and it sounds similar to people who like you know go fight in war or something and then have tremendous PTSD or something back on land um because they're they're not uh, in an environment anymore where you know they have things exploding and uh you know, or being called on at any given moment to go into battle and, you know, all of this. Right. Well, I mean, you know, we don't get PTSD, you know, of course not. Um, right, right, right. I'm not saying that. I just drawing some comparison there to more the, even the, like the shared experience between men. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, there are ways that you can tell someone that spent a lot of time out at sea, um, by the way that they will talk to other people. Um, you can you can definitely see it in their eyes when they're talking to you. Uh, you can... You know, like... You can kind of... You can be talking about something with anybody. And then you can kind of look at each other in a certain way and be like... You work offshore, right? Yeah, I work with this and that. Um... <laughs> You know, um, oftentimes, uh, like I'll I'll strike up a conversation with like a vet, um, and they'll say, uh, "Your army?" I'm like, "No, I'm in the Merchant Marine." I'm like, ah, okay, I get it. Like, you know, w- w- I mean, the worst thing about the Merchant Marine is that basically you get nothing um, for doing it. Uh, and you're, I mean, you're sacrificing your life, basically. Uh, and, um, I mean, if I was in the military or had been in the military, I could make a better argument for it. But these are things I've heard from, from, from people who've been in the Navy themselves. They say, you know, most people never, you know, never actually see combat. You know, the military is just, you know, you're away and, you know, it's just a lot of bullshit you got to deal with and it's boring a lot of the time and, you know, just a lot of regulations and a lot of drills. And the only difference is when you go to the military and you come home, people kind of have some kind of respect for you. But you're in the Merchant Marine. Who gives a shit, you know? Oh, you work on a boat. <laughs> you know? So So why do you do it? Huh? So why do you do it? Why do I do it? Um, well, I'm actually kind of tired of the Merchant Marine. Um, I kind of want to go. Um, my plan is to go uh, fishing in Alaska this winter. Uh, so... Uh, um, you know, 
saying you're a Bering Sea fisherman versus saying you're an oil field deckhand uh, at least rings a little bit better in my head. Something that I could respect myself a little bit more for. Um, something that you could get a little bit more respect out of other people for. Uh, at least I imagine. I mean, it's not really an important thing and it actually doesn't matter in the end anyway because no one really cares about anyone else or what they've done or what they did. But I could be a little prouder saying I did that compared to the Merchant Marine. So I'm trying to transition to that. And now where does writing and literature fit into all of this? Um, well, the stories that you hear from people uh, working out on these boats are very unique. Um, they're powerful. They're beautiful. And I want to be able to share them with people sometimes. Um, and also, because my background is different than theirs, I can kind of understand that they're powerful and that they're beautiful. Um, you know, uh, like, I've never been in a fight before, and a lot of these guys are fighters. They fought all their life, you know, all their lives. They've been in prison and they fought. And one thing one guy told me, I didn't think they thought it was poetic or interesting or, or just a nice image, but he told me there was a prison fight where one guy was, was, was was kicking someone else's ass really really mercilessly right and his ex and and what he said was he hit him once and he knocked him out and then he hit him again and that woke him back up and he hit him a third time and it knocked him out again and can you imagine being that guy <laughs> you know either of those guys right beating someone up just so savagely like that or being this guy that gets woken up you know, knocked out and woken up and knocked and knocked out again by three punches. Like, that's something that, I mean, that's prison life. You know, those are the people that, you know, that's what prison does to people, basically. Uh, um, I am ex I'm e extremely opposed to just the entire uh, uh, concept of incarceration. Um, it's It's so inhumane and so brutal, you know. I mean, I don't even want, I mean, you know, there are times when you don't even want to be on a boat for three more days and you're out, at least you get some fresh air all day, really. And you have some cell service and, you know, you have some decent food. It's not great, but it's decent. You know, it's edible at least. And you can go home and you're getting money. I mean, you can't tell somebody you're going to be in this box for years, months, even weeks. I don't believe in locking people up. I think that it's cruel and unusual. Um, and uh, I think that if you know i think that the suffering that you that that you know you can see in these people who have spent time behind bars and just being able to empathize with it a little bit literally being trapped because you are trapped when you're out there um it uh yeah it uh that's a story that I want to be able to pass on to people. The story about about being trapped. Um, I couldn't go to prison. I would kill myself. I know it already. Um, and uh, <laughs> just from the stories that people have told. Um, but yeah, I want to write so that people can basically understand that perspective. If I said I don't believe in prisons, people would say, what, are you crazy? But if you can hear the stories of, of people who have been in prison, like actually really hear prisoners talking with other prisoners while they're 
sort of in prison like you know anyone who has a heart will be able to understand that story and will say we got to do something else right and you're you're speaking about the boat and telling me about your experiences feeling trapped on that boat enlighten um my thoughts on the prison system as well so i think it's a very unique lens to, to tell that story about being trapped yeah i mean you know it's um i mean it's 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 obviously not prison um but it it brings you a little bit closer to that uh to that kind of anti-human experience um it's it's something that's not you know we're not naturally designed to do it um when you take on one of these jobs, like even in the winery or working on the boat or something, do you take it on kind of with the intent that you're going to have an experience and that will be fodder for writing? Or is it just that you're taking whatever job comes your way, whatever you fancy at that time, and um, artistic experience grows out of that inevitably? I mean, all three. Um, I've taken jobs where I've just had to take a job. Um, I always will take a job that... I could feel a little bit of pride in doing. I have always refused to do the service industry. I have chosen to throw bags of rice at the shipyard for 12 hours a day for less than a hundred bucks. You know, you know, like I will do the hardest work that there is to do before I will work in the service industry. Um, I don't feel like it's something that, I mean, I don't, I don't believe in it, and I definitely don't think that it's healthy for men to do. I think, I think before a man uh, waits on somebody's table at a restaurant and puts on an apron, he should damn well be sure that no one's, you know, out at the dock, you know, trying to, you know, unload a train car because that will be a lot healthier for him to do. I think people need to use their muscles. I think people need to sweat. I mean, I think people need to feel a little bit of testosterone coursing through their veins. Um, I'd always rather have that experience. The thing about writing about it is um, I've definitely cared more about writing about it in the past than I do now um, because it gets more complicated. Life gets more complicated um, and the story gets more complicated. I've consistently started works which i've then uh left unfinished um and i'm I'm working on something right now but the more the more i continue the more i uh find that the story i was writing wasn't really the story that i i want to write um poetry is a lot is a lot more powerful um poetry it's not something that you can work on it's something that just kind of happens um so you will get, you will complete that artistic uh, project, at least I will, in 10 minutes. And now you can put something out. Would you ever share that work with the people you work with? I have in the past. I've shared stories, not poetry. Um, and I've, I usually get kind of a very, very strange response because people do not expect to be reading writing like that from someone that they're working with. That's usually what it is. And I only would share it with people who I think are, um, I mean, I often have the idea, don't throw flowers to pigs. I kind of hate it because I don't think anyone's pigs, but some people out there are pigs and you wouldn't, you wouldn't share something that, you know, deep with them because they will claw it like they try to claw on how tall you are, you know, like 
so, so you have to be very careful about that. Um, but the 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 thing about um, a job is I would rather have it for a poetic experience, a personal experience. Um, and if I can write about it later, I will. Um, but uh, I at this moment will not go live in a tent to finish my book. Um, I think that a lot of people make that mistake, actually. At this moment, I'll go fishing to do something kind of cool and fun, um, cut through some of the boredom, buy a house, pay off the house, and then I can sit in the house and then I can start writing a little bit more. What are you working on right now? I have my book, which I'm writing. Um, the title, uh, uh, I've been... I've been I've been going back and forth between a couple of different things, but it's it's called Working Waters, and it's basically the place where I put, you know, this little story I told you about the guys in the boat hitting each other three times, you know, the the um, little things like that. It's basically where work. Uh, it's it's bas- basically Working Waters is where that that kind of writing is going. Um, it's uh, an amalgamation of all the experiences and all the people that I've met. Um, working in the Puget Sound on cruise lines and on tugboats and fishing and offshore. Um, that's my, my, like, that's my documentary right there. Um, and, uh, exactly what the narrative is in it, um, is, is, is unclear. Um, uh, but, uh, The, uh, that's not exactly too important to me at this moment because I don't really have a narrative to my own life, but I think my life is interesting. Um, and I think that people can just be left with, wow, that's a crazy fucking world out there, you know? And that's fine. I I mean, I kind of don't think that you need to have a narrative and I think that, um, or a plot, I guess I should say. And I think that you, you kind of look at film in a similar way. I kind of think that writing can be more of like a photograph. Writing can just be a picture. Um, I think that people, you know, uh, I mean, I don't really read contemporary writers, um, but like I just read The Idiot by Dostoevsky and uh, spoilers, right? But at the end of it, basically, the guy is a complete idiot. And I mean, an idiot in like the the like the I guess the classical sense like had a mental issue right but through the whole book you're convinced he's not an idiot really or like or like everyone thinks he's an idiot but you see that he's not an idiot but at the very end oh wait a minute he is an idiot you told me that from the very beginning I needed the whole story to know that he was an idiot well you didn't learn anything at the end there was really no plot so many of the characters had no purpose this is just a picture of an idiot, <laughs> you know. This is a guy who fucked up. You know. There's no lesson in it. There's no there's no uh like there's no big issue he needs to overcome. The whole thing is one big issue and then it's over. And I kind of like that. I think the whole story can be one big issue. Look at how fucked up this world is. The world of the workers, the world of of men the world of these lonely people this is a fucked up world and you can see it and you wouldn't wish it on anyone else if you could you know by the end of this book 
you you know you wouldn't wish this on anyone and 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 you wouldn't understand how these people are still doing it that's basically the point of it um and and i'm in it it's a little bit autobiographical not exactly um uh but basically in it i jump from boat to boat and what you see is the kind of uh the kind of like i i don't know what you would call like un like emotional undulation like the uh the highs and the lows of this kind of life and you'll see where they are and they're very predictable and the life becomes very predictable um you know like you know it, it like it's always it's always the day that you get back on the boat um Hold on, let me think about how to put it. Take your time. <clears throat> it's always the day you get off the boat when you feel like you're free and you know, and and the world is open to you and you have options too and then it's the day that you go back on the boat where you just feel like dying basically like, you know, and 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 while you're off the boat, you always have these like transformative experiences um you know uh people think wow you know that's amazing or uh you meet interesting people and you think you know i don't know how many times i've met people you know and spent three days just driving around with them not sleeping uh just just great friends and comrades travelers and we always make plans and say you know what next hitch i'm gonna quit and we're gonna go on a road trip and that's the end of that. And then you go back to work, right? It's like every time you come home, you always have this kind of fantasy about what about what, about what you're going to do now. And then you always just end up going back. And before you leave, everyone is always saying, like I said before, man, fuck this shit. This is my last hitch. It really is. Me and my old lady are about to do that. And then you see them right back on the boat, right? So that's kind of something that you see in my book. Um, there's a consistent uh, uh, phenomenon of... I just describe the shitty day-to-day -day life of working on the boat. I describe the this 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 beautiful optimism near the end of it and the experience of coming back to land. And then I describe <laughs> the shitty life on the boat again. And then this new optimism, I'm going to go to a different boat. Next time I'm going somewhere else. And then you're back on the shitty boat again. And then you meet this beautiful girl and it's amazing. And then you want to travel with her. And then you're back on the boat again. And now, newsflash, look around you. Yeah, you're 19, 20, 21. These guys are in their 40s. You think they thought they were going to be on this boat forever? Are you kidding me? You know, you're no different from them. You know? So, the, um, but the story isn't, isn't all that. Um, I want to leave some optimism in it. Um, and that's kind of where the art comes in. And, that, and the sad thing is most of these people, they don't have any of that optimism. And that's why when the man who is, you know, upset about his weight tries to pick on me, I remember like this guy, there's a lot to pick on with him. There's a lot of material there. Like I do not need to pick on him because I'm in a much better place than he is. I can complete this book and I can tell a great story and I can get out of this. Um, I know of another world beside this. I can't guarantee that when they get off the boat, they think about art or they meet beautiful people. 
I can't I can't guarantee they do that. Um, so I feel very fortunate that I have this ability, um, this capacity to create. Uh, well, I don't want to say have a capacity to create art because they have a capacity to create art as well. But I have, um, you know, I'm a little bit different from uh, most of the other people I work with because uh, I guess I'm in a unique position just from my own experiences and my own perspectives and my own um, ability to pick on to the things that, that, that they say that they don't notice. I have a unique ability to be a kind of liaison between them and the rest of the world that doesn't understand them. Two worlds that actually have no idea the other one exists. Um, and then with my uh, kind of, uh, you know, you know, like respectable ability to write a decent sentence, um, you know, couple all those things together and I could write a powerful story and I'm working on the story, you know, just. Uh, the book sounds um, massive. It sounds great. Your empathy and your sympathy for these workers, for these men and for that entire culture um, is incredible that, you know, you can have that perspective and not be brought down by, you know, the aggression and the day-to-day -day, um, tasks and everything. Um, two words that you used when you were describing your work, you said, this is your documentary, and then you also said that this work is very photographic. I'm just wondering if you have any interest in expanding into other mediums at any point, like photography or documentary filmmaking, anything like that. I have an immense interest um, and a deep desire to. Um, that's one thing about, about art for me. I, if I could, would, would learn every instrument. And I would also spend all day in school studying art. And, I, you know, I would read every book. Um, the, the issue for me is just time, um, you know. Like, I just spent, um, I was talking about it with uh, the gay engineer on the boat, right? Um, so, you know, sometimes you do get into these, you know, you look up at the stars and you kind of have conversations. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was on the boat for uh, two months, two weeks, and two days. And I thought, how many two months, two weeks, and two days do you have in a year? I'm not very good with math, but let's just... You know, let's say a handful, right? Let's say five, right? Let's say you have five, two months, two weeks, and two days in a year. How many years do you really have before you're an old man, before I'm one of them? 20, right? So you have five of those a year, and after 20 years, or after 20 of those years pass, 20 of these groups of five, I'm going to be... Uh, a middle-aged man, over middle-aged. I mean, for, for workers, for seafarers, once you're in your 40s, you're kind of an old man, right? <laughs> but, um, yeah, I just spent 1% of what I consider to be my very usable life on this hitch. 1%, right? Um, you don't have a lot of time, right? If I If I have the time... Before I either die or go crazy or I don't even know what can happen. But if I actually have the time 
to complete a whole book, I would be very happy. Um, I know that's not a very, um, I know that doesn't really make sense because people complete dozens of books. People write books that are thousands of pages, right? Uh, that's something that I'd probably need to, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I mean, what do I know? I could spend three days at one point and write 10,000 pages, you know, on a, on some kind of drug-fueled experience. I mean, you know, that can happen too. But um, I guess I just feel like maybe most artists aren't regular proletarians at the same time. No, that's wrong. Most artists are, are also proletarians. They have to make their money too. I don't know how they do it. Maybe by the time I settle down and have my own home, I'll be able to spend more time expanding into other medias to answer your question. Is that something you're interested in doing? In my book right now, Working Waters, it starts with uh, myself holding a dead bird in my hand.